Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Tuesday, January the 11th, 2022. It is currently 3.51 p.m. Central Time. And once again, I'm here in the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, located right here in Ovalo, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in. I apologize if you heard things falling in the background, because as I was giving the introduction, I was knocking over bottle water, uh, bottles of water. I was knocking over Bible handbooks, commentaries, Bible dictionary. I was just knocking over everything as I was trying to give the introduction. So I apologize. So let's do that again, right? Okay, let's do a take two. Welcome, everyone. This is the Theology Central Podcast. It is Tuesday, January the 11th, 2022. It is now 3.52 p.m. Central Time. And yes, I'm still sitting here in the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, and the church is still located right here in Ovalo, Texas. Welcome, Welcome, welcome. We have a lot to do. I always say that, right? We we have a lot to do because we always have a lot to talk about. This is probably going to prove to be somewhat controversial. And to be honest with you, I'm a little nervous, right? So I so I was sitting here, okay, and I and I was I was like, okay, I, I need to go live. I need to go live, but I'm like, wow, okay, you see. Make sure I have a Bible dictionary. Okay, what else? What other things could I have? Okay, make sure I have a my journal and a pencil. I have a Bible. And I kept thinking, what what tools am I going to need? And then I realized, you know what? I don't really know what tools I'm going to need because I have no idea what's about to happen. But I do know this. This is going to be controversial and I'm, I'm almost positive this, there's going to have to be a part two, a part three, a part four, a part five. I don't know. Maybe, maybe everyone else who listens to this is going to be like, yeah, so what? Who cares? And moves on. But I don't think I'm going to be able to move on until we find some answers. But it may be a situation where we cannot find any answers. But let me explain something to you. All right. One of the things that I have tried to get into the minds of the people of this church, the church that I'm currently sitting in, is that as a church, we needed to transition from simply learning theology to doing theology. See, when you're in a learning theology kind of mode, basically you're like, okay, here's the theology we hold to. Here's maybe this confession of faith. Here's this systematic theology. Even if the pastor doesn't bring the systematic theology up there or bring the the confession of faith or doctrinal statement to the pulpit, as he teach, as he's teaching, he's teaching in a way that says, this is basically what we believe. And even if it doesn't say this is what we believe, it'll be something like, this is the truth right here. And may not even really bring in any alternative views other just to say they're wrong. This is, this is the theology you need. This is what you need to believe about this, 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 and this. And that is a very important thing to do at times is to build that foundation, give everyone that theological you know, perspective so that they they know what to believe and then try to help them understand why to believe it. But at some point, I believe you have to transition after merely learning theology to doing theology. And doing theology is now where you take theological perspectives and you consider different perspectives. You question you cre- you create hypotheses and theses and you test them and you're and you're trying to work things out and and this is to tr- this is to take 
the theology you've learned, and now, in a sense, you put it to a test. You question it. You challenge it in order to hopefully maybe purify it, to clean it up a little, to fix maybe things you didn't quite understand. But it's to really move into that way of thinking. And if you listen to my preaching, we do that frequently. I'm like, okay, we're working on this. All right, here's this view. Here's this view. Well, what about this? Let's, what about that? Let's question this. Let's challenge that. Let's call that. And, and some people love it. Some people just like that nice, comfortable, okay, just tell me what to believe. Just give me the, the points. And I don't need to, I don't need to hear all of the counterpoints and I don't need to struggle through all of this. They just want it simple. And that's great. There's plenty of churches and podcasts who, who just going to do it that way. And that's okay. I'm not here to criticize that. I just think there, there should be a place where you can question, you can challenge, you can struggle, struggle. Yeah. If if you can get the word right, you can struggle and you can, you can try to think about it and talk about it and try to work this out. And what about this? And what about that? In order to try to grow in your understanding, to even, to even grad, to even grab on to a deeper understanding so that we can hopefully fix what we were, maybe what we only understood in part, and now we can see it in a more complete way. But to do that sometimes can be, well, unnerving for some people. They don't like that, that they hold to a certain theology and then you come in and you start asking questions or you challenge it. Their first reaction is almost always to immediately defend it. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. And you're like, calm down, calm down. Let's think about it. Let's challenge it. Let's question it. And not, not just to have questions though, in order to ultimately find the truth, but you've got to be willing to deal with those challenges and questions. You can't just immediately fight. You've got to think and work and study and research so that you can, that you can do that. So, my my thinking is I listen to so many different things from so many different perspectives, and I always try to at least hear the perspective, consider the perspective, analyze the perspective, and then see if there's anything I need to change in the perspective I already held to, and then try to figure out what the truth is. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm I'm trying to get you in the mind mindset right now for this episode to that we're gonna try to do theology. We're gonna take something that is very well known by anyone who's probably been at church in any length of time. And we're going to hear something that's clearly going to challenge it, clearly going to call it into question. Basically, we'll probably say, it appears to me, that what you've been told is fraudulent and wrong. And instead of just immediately trying to to push back, we're going to consider it and then do all of the work to see if we, after we do all of the work, can we prove their position disprove their position, or do we need to change our position? So I want you to be in the let's do theology mindset. I hope that makes sense. Sometimes when I explain that to people, they kind of give you a look like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm like, well, I'm trying to help you understand. We're doing theology. We're not just learning theology. Learning theology is, I'm not in any way diminishing it, we always constantly have to be learning, okay, here's the doctrine, here's the theology, here's what we need to understand. But at some point, we have to question and challenge as we try to grow in our understanding. Now, the reason I'm, I'm spending so much time trying to lay a good foundation here is because earlier today, I picked up the Edify Christian Podcast app. 
I hit the little button that says new from you know, basically your 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 the ones you subscribe to your subscriptions the because that's what they call it when you follow a podcast they basically call it subscribing to that podcast not that you have to pay any money but just it's called subscription All right so one of the podcasts I subscribe to is Skywatch TV now let me just say this right from the start I think most of the stuff they talk about is absolutely crazy absolutely insane. But again, I love hearing things from different perspectives to challenge me to go, well, I wonder I wonder if I was right. And then I go back and in a sense do theology to see when I work my way all the way through the through all the information, all of the all the all the biblical text, church history, whatever, when I when I finally get back to a conclusion, I can say, well, yep, I still think they're crazy or I may go, well, I think they're crazy. However, I learned that maybe I was wrong in a couple of areas and then I can change it, all right? So, but so here, here's what happened. So I, I click on, you know, new from, from my subscriptions and here's what I read. Unraveling revelation, unraveling revelation. I'm like, okay, so you're talking unraveling the book of revelation, unraveling the doctrine of revelation, Unraveling Revelation itself, what, what, what are you referring to? And then it says, Unraveling Revelation, and then here was the thing that caught my attention. Are you ready? Lucifer is not Satan. The entity called Lucifer is not who we think he is. The entity, so so whoever Lucifer is, they refer to it as an entity, but whoever we think it, whoever we typically think that it is, it's not him. In this case, it's not Satan. So who is Lucifer? How did they come to the conclusion that Lucifer is not Satan? Have we all been wrong? Do we need to change our perspective? What 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 does... Church history say, now I know there is some much debate over the translation of translating the word Lucifer. We do know that. What does the Bible dictionary have to say? What, what, what do commentaries have to say? What, what have you been taught? What we're going to try to do, and, and I, I always say this, and I know people get nervous. Right now I'm going to set aside all of my presuppositions. I'm going to set aside what I think I know. I'm going to set aside the view that if you were to ask me what I would typically say i always set that aside because if you can't set if you can't set aside the conclusion you've already reached then you can never be challenged and you can never learn because all you're like this is what i was taught this is what i believe and i, I and i can't hear anything else well you can never what if what you heard what if what you believe is wrong you've always got to be willing to set aside your current conclusion hear new information challenge your conclusion and then when it's all said and done, see if what the, the new conclusion you arrive at, is it the same as the old one? Or did you realize you were wrong? We, we, none of us, none of us is infallible. We are very fallible. So we have to always be willing to be challenged. So when I saw this, I almost laughed. I'm like, what in the world? Lucifer is not Satan. What, what is this? I shared it in the Discord channel. I didn't get too many reactions from it. But uh, we're, we're going to have to talk about it. We're going to have to talk about it. So that's what we're going to do today. There's other things I want to do. I've got, I got stacks of things we need to talk about, but I just think this would be interesting. It would be fun. And it gives us, again, a chance to do a little bit of actual doing theology. Now, here's what we're going to use. We're going to use our Bible study exercise rules. 
So that means sometimes I may already have a conclusion or a thesis. I may simply say, well, what do you think? Trying to get you involved in this. But we're, we're going to see. According to the description here, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 13, Isaiah chapter 14. We're going to be looking at Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, we're going to be... We're going to be looking at a lot of things. All right, we're going to be looking at the concept of the day of the Lord. It looks like there's just is going to go in so many different directions. But this is from Skywatch TV. Um, I don't know when this episode dropped. It was, had to be just in the last couple of days. It's 28 minutes and 30 seconds long. I do think they have advertisements in the middle of this, which always messes me up because then we have to kind of turn down the volume. Look, look I don't know what's coming. So I know what you're thinking. Well, why wouldn't you listen to it first? Then turn on the microphone and then you could just teach us because that would be no fun, right? That would be, I know that's what all the podcasts do. Isn't it more fun that you have no idea what's getting ready to happen? I have no idea what's getting ready to happen. And then we work together to challenge our conclusions and try to figure out what the truth is. Working together. See, that keeps you from being a passive listener. It makes you have to be an active participant. So are you ready? I would say have a Bible, definitely. If you have access to uh, Bible encyclopedias, dictionaries, it may be time to have those ready. Commentaries, you may want to have those ready. If you're listening live, the chat is open. Feel free to jump in at any point in time. If you're like, what in the world are they talking about? Probably the second you type that into the chat, I'm probably going to turn on the microphone and go, what in the world are they talking about? I'm assuming we're going to be thinking the same thing. I, I really don't know. I'm a little nervous, right? Because I don't really know what's getting ready to happen. That's why I was, that's why I was saying I was like trying to get a lot of resources around me because I'm going to be like, okay, what can I, what can I grab right here to even see? I, I don't know where this is going, but here we go. Are you ready? Think of it this way. You just drove past the church. You turned around. You walked in. You're like, oh, what are you doing here? Well, I'm, I'm getting ready to listen to something about Lucifer not being Satan. What? C can I listen? Sure. Let's talk about it together. That's kind of the idea. I think this is more fun. It's more exciting. It, it is a little nerve-wracking because I'm supposed to be able to break in through this and offer some kind of meaningful analysis. And all I may be able to do here in a minute is turn on the microphone going, uh, what? Uh, what are they talking about? Uh, well, I don't know. I, I, I'm hoping that with all of my uh, theological education, I'm going to have at least some idea where they're going. I, I'm not so sure. When it comes to Skywatch TV... <laughs> I don't think any theological education really prepares you for what happens in episode after episode. But this is on the Edify Christian Podcast app. I'm assuming their podcast is available on all the other podcasting apps, but that's how I listen to it. Are you ready? Here we go. It's baffled scholars for two millennia. It is a puzzle made of multidimensional elements, an enigma with roots that reach back to the dawning of time perhaps before. Daniel explained part of it. Ezekiel and Isaiah had glimpses into it. John saw it all for the time of the end. That time is now. Join Derek and Sharon Gilbert on a journey that spans the course of history from Eden to Mount Hermon, 
from Hermon to Babel, from Babel to Rome, from Rome to the cross, and from there to us. Biblical prophecy is coming true before your eyes, and to understand it, you must discern the times both then and now. It's time to unravel the threads of this all-encompassing prophetic paradox. It's time to unravel Revelation. Now, Unravel Revelation sounds to me like we're unraveling the book of Revelation, kind of. But, I mean, it's a multidimensional, it's like a puzzle. It's like, I mean, they, they, they went all in for their intro. They got the dramatic music. They got that big radio voice. They've got everything. So they've, they've got your attention. I, I just, I mean, I don't, I, again, I don't know where they're going, but here we go. I just... Let's let's continue listening. Are, are, are you are you hooked? Are you are you ready to go? Here we go. Isaiah and the Day of the Lord. Welcome to Unraveling Revelation from Skywatch TV. I'm Derek Gilbert. I am Sharon Gilbert, and we're so glad that you've chosen to join us for this study, which is getting so exciting. Uh, if you're brand new to watching Unraveling Revelation, and you're just jumping in in the middle of the stream, and you're thinking they're in Isaiah, what's that got to do with the Book of Revelation? <laughs> well. Okay, so it is. So this is a series called Unraveling Revelation. Clearly, I've missed those episodes, or if I did, I forgot about them, or nothing really got my attention, like seeing something called Lucifer is not Satan. That got my attention. So we're unraveling the book of Revelation, right? And by going back to Isaiah, I do appreciate anyone studying the book of Revelation or anything, looking for, especially the book of Revelation, how maybe Old Testament prophecies fit in. I think that's that's always wise, trying to put hopefully everything in its biblical context, how the Old Testament relates to what is being talked about in the New Testament. Okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all for this. I, it's, this is wonderful. This is great. I just don't know where they're going. But I have Isaiah chapter 13 open right here. I have Isaiah chapter 13 open. Uh, the, the, and we have the day of the Lord. Now that's an, that's a very important phrase. Shows up a number of times. Um, what exactly is that referring to? Is it referring to one day? Is it referring to a period of time? Which period of time? Something in the past, something in the future, something in the present. Lots of good questions we could ask about that, but let, let's see, let's let them do their thing and then we'll, we'll jump in wherever we need to. Here we go. We take it a little wider than that. We figure everything that the Lord has told us, uh, what he's revealed about himself, is revealing Jesus Christ. And we also don't think that you can understand the book of Revelation without understanding the other prophecies. It's pretty clear that John had read the Old Testament prophets. He knew Ezekiel. He knew his Isaiah. He knew his Jeremiah and his Zechariah and Daniel. Mm -hmm. Because imagery that John includes in the book of Revelation is uh, drawn from all parts of the Old Testament. In fact, when we began our study almost 100 episodes ago, we began... Gosh, has it been close to that? Yeah, we're getting close to episode 100. I forgot to check and see where we're at exactly, but it's pretty close. Now, I know what you're thinking, 100 episodes and you haven't paid any attention. No, because here's the thing. First of all, I subscribe to like a thousand podcasts. So cut me a break. Cut me a little, cut me a break here, right? Cut me a little slack. Um, But I typically, they do something called, uh, I can't remember what, I would have to go back and look. In fact, let me just go back here. They do, oh, five and 10, five and 10. That's what, it's like five news stories in 10 minutes. 
And that's what I typically list, listen to uh, from them because it kind of lets me know here's some stories that maybe like a, a Christian podcast is covering or they're focused on. And it kind of lets me know, okay, here's, here's the news stories Christians are talking about. And then I can go listen to maybe five things from CNN or five things from USA Today. Okay, here's the news stories the world is looking at. And it's just, it kind of gives me those two perspectives. So that's usually the episodes I look for here. Uh, but Unraveling Revelation is obviously one I have not paid any attention to until today. So, all right, here we go. But we began with the book of Genesis, because unless you understand the fall and the the entities responsible for the fall and then subsequent rebellions, mm-hmm. not just what happened in the garden, but what happened prior to the garden, uh, chaos, Leviathan, what happened in the garden, of course, then what happened at Mount Hermon mm-hmm. with the sons of God of Genesis 6, who they are, who they created through their commingling with humanity, and then Genesis uh, 10 and 11 with uh, Nimrod and the Tower of Babel and those entities, because the Jewish religious scholars of the days leading up through the time of the apostles understood that all of those were responsible for the state of the world we find it in to this day. It's like going to a baseball game (laughs) in the final inning or even in overtime not any knowledge of how the game is played, why the game is played, nor do you know the players. Mm-hmm. And trying and, to understand the rules at that yes. point. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good analogy. Um, so that's why we're in Isaiah, because Isaiah, of all the Old Testament prophets, probably refers to the day of the Lord. Well, no, not probably. He does. He refers to the day of the Lord more frequently than any other. And, a lot. Yeah, and that is a very important day because... Now... Before they say anything, they said, that's an important day. I would just challenge you on your own, and maybe we can turn this into a Bible study exercise in the midst of all of our other Bible study exercises that we're always working on. Maybe we need to do a Bible study exercise on the phrase, day of the Lord. A couple of things you can do. This is just something you could do on your own. You could look up the day of the Lord and see how many times it's actually used in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And then... You could uh, start reading, just reading the verses with a little bit of context, just some, just trying to you know, like read them, skim them, and just kind of write down just like a basic like, okay, here's all the verses, and then just read each one and just write down like a little sentence of what it seems, what what the day of the Lord seems to be referring to. It could be something as simple like day of the Lord. Okay, that seems to refer to some kind of judgment. That seems to some cataclysmic event. All right. And then you can just kind of like, so when you're finally done, the day of the Lord seems to refer to something future for the times that it's mentioned. Like every time it's mentioned, it's talking about something future. Let's say it's never speaking of something that was present at the time. And it doesn't mean future like all the way to something we haven't even experienced, but at least future to the people that it was being spoken to at the time, all right? So it was something future. It was cataclysmic. It was judgment. It involved this nation, this nation, this nation, or involved all the nations, or it involved the entire world, whatever the case may be. And you just, and then when you're done, you can go, okay, here's what I have down for the basic understanding. Doesn't mean you draw your interpretation that way. At least you've got a basic idea. Then, After you've done that, then you would grab Bible dictionaries, encyclopedias, and see what do they say about Day of the Lord, right? Then you could go back and look at, say, commentaries for all of those verses that say Day of the Lord, and what do they say? And then when it was all said and done, you can say, okay, here's the basic, here's the consensus, or what you may say is, well, after looking at everything, 
there's about 17 different views on what the day of the Lord means, and no one can even agree on how to interpret each use of the phrase. You could, you could discover all of that on your own. Now, the reason you want to discover that on your own is because then when someone comes along, some preacher podcast and says, the day of the Lord means this, you can say, well, actually, there, no one agrees on what the day of the Lord means. That's what you're telling me it means. But in reality, there's about 37, you know, I don't know, 37. I'm not saying there's 37. There's, you know, whatever the view is, 7, 10, 37, whatever it is, there's that many different views when it comes to it. So then you can ask yourself, why can no one agree? Or maybe you'll find that it's the, that there's basically, you know, one major view that almost everyone agrees with. And you can say, okay, then I agree. It, it helps protect you when you do that kind of work. Or you have to rely on someone else doing the work for you. And what a lot of Christians do, they listen to sermons and they say, well, I, I agree with this preacher and I think this is a good preacher. And then they write it down and then that becomes their doctrine. But you have to study for yourself. Doesn't mean you don't listen to other teachers. Doesn't mean you don't listen to pastors. No, you listen to them. But in some cases, there are things you can do, like look it up for yourself and, and, and see. So I've got, I've got a book right here. It would be interesting. I bet you I could find out what they, how, how they, what they say about the day of the Lord in a couple of seconds, but I won't. Let's see what they have to say. They say that, that Isaiah, I think they seem to imply that Isaiah uses it more than anyone. All right, that's important. That um, it's a very important to understand, and I think he's getting ready to say something else about it. Let's let's listen. That is the day when God finally says, "That's it. I've had enough. I'm coming down." Okay. Now, according to them, the day of the Lord is the day that is basically that's it. God is coming down. The day of the Lord is basically the end when Christ comes back. That, that is what they seem to say the day of the Lord is. Now, do you agree? Do you disagree? That, well, you can write down what they have to say, but, well, you would have to look it up and see what conclusions you can come to. I could throw out some theories, and, but I'm not going to do that right now. Let's continue. And that is when Armageddon takes place, when the enemy is defeated, and yes. the thousand-year millennial reign begins. I would argue that the day of the Lord begins at the midway point in the tribulation week. Okay, so it's That's, not just a, a day, it is a... Okay, a couple of things. Immediately, we start picking up their eschatology. They believe in a literal millennial kingdom. Clearly, they believe in a seven-year tribulation, tribulation. And she believes the day of the Lord begins in the middle of the tribulation and it appears it, it ends right at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. So that would have been about three, three and a half year period of time. So it seems they're implying that the day of the Lord covers a period of time. It is future, not only for, for the people who were originally heard the, the phrase day of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's future even for us. And it will begin in the middle of the tribulation and then end right at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. That, that seems to be what they have come to their conclusions about, all right? So, okay, I'm just going to, hang on. I was looking at something. I don't think it's going to, I don't have an index in this book. I, I was going to look up the day of the Lord and see all the places it shows up in this book, but we can't do that right now. So we'll have to skip that. All right, let's continue. 
period of time. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a period of time. If you think of it as that's a 24-hour day, no, no. It is when the Lord says, I no longer have any patience with you. It it essentially, we're going to read it. In fact, we did read it already in the book of Revelation where the angels were rejoicing. Yes. The earth is now yours. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've bought it back, and now you have the legal document. You have right. all the proof. These legalistic fallen angels, they are going to see this proof, and they know you're coming to take it back. That The owner of the field is coming to kick the stewards out. That's right. That's right. They're- all right. Now, just to show you, I, I still want to get to what they're going to say about Lucifer not being Satan. That's really our goal. However... We don't want to. We don't want to. We don't want to be so focused on that goal that we miss other benefits and things that we can learn. So I just grabbed a Bible dictionary really quick, just to show you Day of the Lord. Let's see what they have to say in contrast to what we just heard. Day of the Lord, a special day at the end of time when God's will and purpose for mankind and His world will be fulfilled. Many Bible students believe the day of the Lord will be a long period of time rather than a single day, a period when Christ will reign throughout the world before he cleanses heaven and earth in preparation for the eternal state of all mankind. Now, that would seem to mean the day of the Lord involves the millennial kingdom. They seem to indicate the day of the Lord is prior to the millennial kingdom, They say that this is a period when Christ will reign throughout the world, or at least they say some Bible students believe that, all right? He cleans heaven and earth in preparation for the eternal state of mankind. But others believe the day of the Lord will be an instantaneous event when Christ will return to earth to claim his faithful believers while consigning unbelievers to eternal damnation, all right? So some believe it's a period of time. Obviously, there's not even agreement on exactly when that period of time begins or ends. Others believe it's a one-time event, all right, basically when Christ comes back and judges everyone. Amos 5, 18 through 20, they say is probably the earliest occurrence in Scripture of the phrase, day of the Lord. According to Amos, That day would be a time of great darkness for any in rebellion against God, whether Jew or Gentile. The day would be a time of judgment. They have Isaiah 13, 6, Isaiah 13, 9, Jeremiah 46, 10, as well as restoration, Isaiah 14, 1, Joel 2, 28 through 32, Zephaniah 1, 7, 14 through 16, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, and 2 Peter 3.10, all right? So there's, as you can see, disagreement. Now, they say Amos 5.18 through 20. I'm just going to look at something really quick. Got a commentary right here on Amos. Got a commentary here on Amos. So I picked uh, some good books to have around me for this, all right? Let's see here. All right, the day of the Lord. This is what this commentary says. The day of the Lord is is the day of judgment. It referred to the judgments by the hands of the Assyrians and Babylonians and Romans, but it also looks ahead to the day of final judgment of sin in the tribulation. The day of the Lord is darkness. Okay, and then they go on and talk about it. Now they say, see the commentary on Joel 1, 15 through chapter two, verse 11, 
for an extensive study on the day of the Lord. So they put it back that basically the day of the Lord refers to um, the final judgment of on sin in the tribulation. So does it happen like during, so during the tribulation is all these judgments against sin and that's the day of the Lord. It, it's not a single day, but it it has a its final dramatic conclusion. Does it have its final dramatic conclusion in Revelation 19? That would be kind of going with what she was saying. Begins in the middle of the tribulation and really ends right before the millennial kingdom. The Bible dictionary seems to say it involves the millennial kingdom. Others like, no, it refers to just one instantaneous act or day or event when Christ comes to judge everyone. All right. So your view of eschatology probably greatly, this is what shouldn't happen, but this is probably how it works. Your view of eschatology probably dramatically impacts how you define the day of the Lord. That's not the way it should work. You have to set aside your eschatology. What does the Bible say about the day of the Lord? Figure that out. And then once you've got a clear understanding and observation of what the tech, the scriptures actually say about the day of the Lord, then form your eschatology from that. Typically, you learn a system of eschatology, right? That's how it typically works. You're like, you go to a church, it's either amillennial, premillennial, preterist, whatever the case may be, post-mill, pre-mill, whatever, dispensational, whatever. And you learn the system, and then you read the scriptures in light of that system. What we have to learn to do is go to the Bible, figure out what the Bible says, and then judge the systems based off those observations, right? And that, that, that typically is going to make everyone mad at you. You're not going to fit in anywhere because you're supposed to almost have loyalty to the team. You got to have loyalty to the tribe. Whatever, we are all millennial. You better show loyalty to all millennialism. You're, we're pre-millennial. You better show loyalty to the team. And I want to state this clearly. Your only loyalty is to the text, not to the team, not to whatever theology that your church accepts. It's to the text of scripture, which requires hours and hours of reading and doing observation. And that observation typically will say that that system doesn't work or that doesn't work. And it may make everyone mad, but it's okay. It's kind of like some of my issues with amillennialism, the way they just arbitrarily go, well, see that, 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 that's literal Israel right there. That's literal. Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. Now magically that's no longer literal Israel. The spiritual Israel, that's the church. And you're like, wait, what just happened? We, we just went like two verses and that, see, that has nothing to do with eschatology. That to me is about hermeneutics. And am I going to be consistent in my hermeneutic? That's what that's about. And day of the Lord is about how is that phrase used in the Bible? Forget what all of the students of Bible prophecy have to say about it. What is What does the text do with that phrase? And it's used a lot. I don't have the number in front of me of how many times it is used, but it's used a lot, which means it can be very difficult and requires much work and time to figure that out. It may be something that we need to work on. It may be something, maybe as a church, uh, we, we can, uh, I can get everyone committed to working on it and we'll just look up every single phrase as a church. It, it makes church services weird, but like, all right, here we go. Where's the first use? Let's look it up. All right, 29 times in the King James. All right, 29 is not bad. 
when we, we spent six months looking up every use of Israel, which was like, I think, close to 3,000. So 29 would not take us long. So maybe I'm going to make that something that we need to work on. I, I think maybe it is because there's just so much confusion out there about it. 21 in the New American Standard. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, why? what, what phrase... The King James uses Day of the Lord, and the New American Standard obviously doesn't use it in every case. So we'd have to look at all the translations, which we can make that a part, a part of our priority as well and part of our uh, process. So I think it's something we need to work on so that we can try to figure out exactly what the Bible has to say in regards to the Day of the Lord, which seems to be very critical in interpreting a lot of the minor prophets and clearly Isaiah, right? So here we go. There are parables in the New Testament that make more sense when you understand it in the context of the long war. Well, we, we had uh, discussed a couple of weeks ago the, the judgment against Babylon, and we want to kind of pick up from there, but then lead from Isaiah 13 and that oracle into Isaiah 14, which is, again, ostensibly mm-hmm. a, an oracle against Babylon. But we think it's one of those already but not yet fulfillments. And we're going to eventually discuss Babylon in a way that is going to surprise most of you, I think. Mm. Because scholars now know that Babylon in in Mesopotamia was a name that did not just apply to the city founded by the Amorites and that became the kingdom headed up by Hammurabi the Great, the great lawgiver, and then later went through a number of changes finally taken over by the Chaldeans, the father of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nabopolassar, established Mm -hmm. their independence from Assyria. Nebuchadnezzar made it a great empire. It was finally lost about uh, 60 years later when Cyrus the Great and the Medes and Persians came in. And certainly the judgment that Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 13 and 14 was fulfilled uh, in the in the near term, when the uh, when the the Babylonians were defeated by the the Persians and the Medes, um, Isaiah in fact even prophesied that when he called out Cyrus 150 years before time. Yes. So we know that there was a near term fulfillment in view, but in Mesopotamia the name Babylon did not always apply to the city of Babylon. It also applied to a number of other cities, including Nippur which was the home city, uh, the city that was sacred to the chief god of, the, uh, of Mesopotamia, Enlil, uh-huh. whom we talked about in this series before. It was also applied to Eridu, which was an ancient Sumerian city, believed to be the very first Sumerian city where kingship first came down from heaven. It was the site of the temple called the Iabzu, home of the god Enki. This was mm-hmm. the, home, the, the house of the abyss, the Iabzu. That's where we get the word abyss. Mm -hmm. And it was believed that from there, the god Enki sent forth the Apkalu, which was the Mesopotamian concept of the watchers, these uh, sons of God who caused humanity to sin by teaching us things we weren't supposed to know. That was at Eridu. It was also Nineveh, Mm -hmm. which was the home city of the Assyrians, was also sometimes called Babylon. Why? Because Babylon in Hebrew, Bab-el, derived from the Akkadian Bab-ilu, means Gate of God or gate of the gods. The God and sometimes the gods. Gate of the God, perhaps, yes. yes. Okay. Now, they're, they're saying the term Babylon can refer to more than just one Babylon. It, it was used to refer to a lot of cities in different places. Okay, so let's – I don't have time to verify everything here, but I'm going to do something just really quick. Just going to reach over, grab Bible Dictionary. Just really quick, see if there's at least any initial agreement to this. 
a little ag- ag- agreement to this. Now, um, it sounds like that the way you know Babylon was used to describe these other places is not necessarily from the text of Scripture, but from historical sources, right? Which you you can you can do whatever you you know that, that could re- lead all all kinds of discussions. All right, here we go. Uh, Babylon. All right, this is what the uh, New Illustrated Bible Dictionary from Nelson's has to say. A Bible, Babylon, ancient walled city between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers and capital of the Babylonian Empire. The leading citizens of the, the leading citizens of the nation of Judah were carried to this city as captives in 586 BC after Jerusalem fell to the invading Babylonians. Biblical writers often portrayed the ancient capital of the Babylonian people as the model of paganism and idolatry. So according to the dictionary, there's at least some, some confirmation of this idea that even, even when among Bible writers, when you say Babylon, that it could go beyond the city to really representing, as this says, uh, it was a model of paganism and idolatry. It kind of, it kind of served as an example or kind of a represented, you know, paganism and, um, idolatry for everyone. But that, that doesn't necessarily say the name was applied to different places. It, it, does, it doesn't necessarily confirm that, I guess. It just confirms that the name may have stood for more than just the city at times, or at least the city was used as an example. It talks about where Babylon was situated uh, along the Euphrates. See, uh, its origins are unknown. According to Babylonian tradition, it was built by the god Marduk. The city must have been built sometime before 2300 BC because it was destroyed about that time by an invading enemy king. This makes Babylon one of the oldest cities of the ancient world. Genesis 10.10 mentions Babel, the Hebrew spelling of Babylon, as part of the empire of Nimrod. Sometimes during its early history, the city of Babylon became a small independent kingdom. All right. Um, Let's see here. Go on. There's a lot here. Yeah, they don't really go into that all of these other cities were called Babylon. I'm not necessarily, I could be, I could now, I'm I'm just skimming here. I'm skimming. It's a large entry for Babylon. And then we get to Babylon in the New Testament. All right, so I I cannot 100% confirm what they are saying right now. I cannot 100% deny. It may be true. Now, they would have to state their historical sources I say, see, in this historical city, this city was called Babylon. All right, why, why was it called Babylon? What, why? And I think they said Babylon means like the gates of the gods or something along those lines. I don't think that that dictionary gave any uh, meaning of the name. That's something else we'd have to look up. All right, but that's okay. Well, let, let's see, see where they're going with this. There were each city had its own god, its mm-hmm. own deity that, that sort of ran the town. Right. And they all had to worship that deity in addition to all of the others. Mm-hmm. Um, each city that had a city god had a special gate that was called the Bob L, the gate of the god, mm-hmm. or the gate of God, or the gate of the gods. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes these cities would have a procession where they would take the god out of town, out of this gate perform a ritual with the god's statue, then return through the same gate. And, of course, when the god decided on his own or 
her own, depending upon the god or goddess, they would come through that gate. You might think of that as a portal. Mm -hmm. Each of these Babylons, spiritual Babylons, had a portal in it. So when we talk about Babylon, it's difficult to pin it down to one region or one city. Mm -hmm. When you talk about spiritual Babylon, that gets into a whole lot of other ideas. But when now again, this is something because now 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 there's a lot of interesting things going on. Again, they're offering all kinds of history. Whenever you hear these kinds of things, though, you always have to just stop yourself from immediately buying into it. Because what we need is, okay, where, where are you getting this information? Where are your sources? I need, I need to know. Primary source, secondary source. Did you read a book that someone claims this is the case and they were quoted? Because sometimes the source you're using, you can be four, five, six, seven, eight away from the original source, right? This book is quoting this book. You go back to that book and that book was quoting another book and that book. And so you're like, okay, wait a minute. How accurate is this information? And by no means am I saying that it's wrong. I do believe most of the cities at that time, I think it's relatively known, but I don't have sources in front of me either to verify, did have a kind of like the city deity. That's okay. Now, I'm getting a little nervous by calling a portal, okay? It's just a gate they walk through. When you say a portal, you're getting me a little, getting me a little nervous here. Um, but then that get really concerned when you say, well, see, Babylon, you had Babylon, but you had spiritual Babylon. Okay. All right. Now, let's just make sure that the thing we would have to do is go through the Bible. And every time Babylon is mentioned, at least in Scripture, right, especially in the Old Testament. Now, we get to the New Testament. What we have about is that a spiritual Babylon or is it kind of a reforming of the Babylonian Empire somehow in the future? Now, we could get into a lot of discussion about how to deal with the Babylon, say, in the book of Revelation. We could get into that discussion. But before we do that. We would have to start in the Old Testament. And every time Babylon is mentioned, we would have to determine, is this literal Babylon or is it being used in a figurative way or is the name Babylon being applied to a different city or a different area? And then when we're done, we can say, look, in, in history books or in the culture the word Babylon may have been used 50 different ways, but as far as the biblical writers, when they used the term Babylon, they were referencing the city of Babylon. They were ref referencing the kingdom of Babylon. That's what they were referencing. We would have to determine that before we jump into all of all of, all of those other things. This is where sometimes these programs can get, and, and this is how people can be so easily misled. And I'm not saying they're misleading anyone. I'm just saying that we need to stop and ask some very important questions in analyzing this kind of thing. Well, wait a minute. How did the biblical writers use the term Babylon? Were they re If they were referencing the city of Babylon or the kingdom of Babylon, and it was the literal kingdom, the literal city, and that's the only way it's used in the Old Testament, well, then whenever we read about Babylon in the Bible, that's the way we have to understand it, unless the text clearly deviates from that understanding and we're forced to. We can't go run to, well, history used it this way. Okay, but the biblical writers clearly were using it in a very literal way. How were they using it? Because that is them using it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit if we believe the Bible's written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? So you see, that's very important here. Sometimes people will go, they'll start running off to other sources and then bring that interpretation upon the text. 
but we got to let the text interpret it first and foremost. That, that's what we have to do and then see how that other understanding could be beneficial. All right, let, let's continue. When we get to the discussion of the whore of Babylon, yes. the woman who rides the beast, trust me, it's not going to go in the direction you think. Yeah. So this is a, a... I think it's an exciting direction. Oh, I think it is too. It's now somewhat speculative because the Bible's not explicit here and we only refer to... I mean, the only ultimate source mm-hmm. of truth that we cannot question and do not question is the Bible itself. I'm glad they admitted there's some speculation going on here, okay? So now speculation can be fun. Speculation can be cool when you're talking to your friends and having an interesting discussion. Just don't allow your speculation to become your theology or your interpretation. That's where you have to be careful. We're just trying to fit together the evidence and draw conclusions from the evidence that we're finding both in the scriptures and through archaeology. And we're not the only ones that are drawing conclusions like that. Um, Some of our support, extra-biblical support, comes from the Book of Enoch, which has a lot of scholars who agree that the Book of Enoch, if it's not canonical, is really close to it because it's quoted in the Bible and the stories are very, very similar. Mm-hmm. We, um, and let's draw some parallels here. Now, as we, as we move from Isaiah 13 into Isaiah 14, and in Isaiah 13, there are specific references to uh, God stirring up the Medes and the Persians against the Chaldeans. So again, well, we know that's the near term. Well, before we go, let me derail you for a second, because in the Septuagint, in verse 2 of, ba- of Isaiah 13, mm-hmm. we get into the idea of what we just discussed. True, true. It says, lift up a standard on the mountain of the plain, the mountain mm-hmm. of the plain, the mountain. Okay. Sometimes right, okay. that's referring to a god. Right, But right. the mountain of the plain, exalt the voice to them, beckon with the hand, open the gates, ye rulers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or ye princes. Open the gates, ye rulers, as yeah. if these princes have control of the gates. The gates. And who's coming through the gates? Well, that's where we continue on, where where God says, I myself have commanded my consecrated ones. We talked about this just a couple of weeks ago, Mm -hmm. but uh, it's it's good to revisit this to, again, because I hadn't noticed this part before. Well, true. The uh, and and the Septuagint, as we've said before, was translated by Jewish religious scholars several centuries before the birth of Jesus, who were working from older Hebrew texts, and so they had a different understanding, perhaps, of the Hebrew texts than we have, because mm-hmm. our English Bibles derive from the Masoretic texts, which are completed around the ninth or the 10th century AD, so about 1,200 years later. And there um, were some changes in that right. text to help eliminate that second power in heaven. Right, to de-emphasize the existence of other entities in the... Oh, boy. Okay. Now we're getting into some really... Okay, hey, so you can't trust this text, but you can trust this. This, this call... When Christians get into this kind of stuff, they I think they always think that they're going to somehow make their position look better. But what it really does is it calls into question trusting the entire Bible. So, so we we should we shouldn't be using the Masoretic text. We should be using only that from the Septuagint because the Masoretic text was to to de-emphasize to de-emphasize what what well this other power in heaven. Like who who are they referring to? Like whoa whoa. So now you're saying we can't trust that. So we can only use Bibles that are translated from the Septuagint? Like, okay, 
come on now. We, we, we have to, we got to be careful. This calls into this. Uh, I get nervous when, they, when things start going this direction, but these are the kinds of things that are out there. Look, look, the reason I keep up with everything, I try to listen to as many podcasts as I can. And I like knowing what's going out there in the world of the Christian, uh, in the Christian world, what's going out there, what people are hearing. There's a lot of people who use the Edify Christian podcast app. There's a lot of people who subscribe to this podcast. So these are things that sometimes you have to discuss and talk about or people get tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. So either you trust your Bible or you're like, well, I can't really trust that Bible, but I maybe if I can, and it's, and oh, that, that just, that just leads to so much confusion. But let's see where, where they're going to go here because we're running out. I can't believe we're already almost out of time, but let's continue. Spirit realm, because when you start allowing for that possibility, then you allow for the possibility that those Christians were right when they said, we know who the angel of Yahweh was in the yeah. Old Testament. That was Jesus of Nazareth. And they, the, the Masoretic, the Jews after the second century did not want to allow for that possibility. When was the Masoretic text? About they... 900 AD. Oh, so about 10th century AD. a long AD. time later. Right, exactly. So we're talking about 1,200 years difference between the translation of the Septuagint and the Masoretic text, which is the basis for English Old Testament yes. Bibles. Also, we want to remind you that during the first century when Jesus was teaching his disciples, more than likely the scrolls that they could read on their own, because most of them, if they were educated at all, they read Greek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was That's probably what the Septuagint, the Septuagint was. Exactly. It was Greek. So this, uh, and uh, in the Septuagint, verse 3 is really interesting because it doesn't say, my consecrated ones, my proudly exulting or boasting no. arrogant ones, as we get in English. The it's Septuagint is different. Giants, giants are, coming. are coming, which was the title of our episode from a, a, a couple of weeks ago. But, but this idea of, of the princes being ordered by Yahweh mm-hmm. to open the gates, open the city gate, open the Babel, mm-hmm. to let these entities through, the princes... The question in my mind is, are this is going some crazy. So basically they're saying you can't trust the Masoretic text. So all your English Bibles are using the Masoretic text. You can't trust that because there was some, there was some, some conspiratorial stuff going down. It sounds like that what they were trying to keep away downplaying when they say the second power in heaven, I'm assuming they're referring to Jesus down because they're like, you know, the angel of the Lord that, that was, you know, that the Septuagint would give you the idea that's Jesus, the Masoretic text would not. So we cannot trust our Bibles unless we get an old Testament that is coming from the Septuagint. That's seemingly where, whether they're explicitly saying that clearly they are implying that. Well, that, that, that puts you, in, well, that, that's, you're going to have to go find a new Bible, right? So, but they, they, they are looking at the Septuagint. So they, they have the information. The rest of us don't. That, because most of us are using, well, something from the Masoretic. And they're really doing a number on Isaiah 13 too. Let me tell you, they're doing, they're doing, we got giants coming through the gate and that's going to be, that's going to be, uh, you know, some kind of spiritual beings that are coming through the gate. And the gate is not, is Babel, Babel, I think is how she said it, right? It's like the Babylon, the gate, the portal is coming through and the giants are going to be some kind of spiritual entities. This is going, but th- and I know you think this is crazy. You're like, what, why even bother? Because if you don't, if someone has to talk about these things that everyone says is crazy, because there's a lot of people out there who pick these things up 
And then you're like, what? And, and what happens is they start talking to their Christian friends and their Christian friends are like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's just crazy stuff. That's just stupid. And so then typically they just kind of walk away and say, well, I kind of was rejected by them. And they just kind of start going down this path of who knows where. You got to be able to go, whoa, wait a minute. Let's, okay, let's talk about this. Now, they're making some big claims that our, our understanding of Isaiah 13, 2, um, or Isaiah 13, 3, I should say. Yeah, 13, 3, I apologize. Isaiah 13, 3, that our understanding is completely wrong because we're using the Masoretic text. But if we had the Septuagint, then we would really see what's going on. That's a, that's a massive claim. All right. Let, let's, we're not even getting into the, to the, to the, see, you see, I never know what's going to happen when you listen to one of these. In fact, what's weird is they entitled this entire episode about Lucifer is not Satan and they're, they've spent 12 minutes. I haven't even got anywhere near it. And I've spent 56 minutes with a title, my title called Lucifer is not Satan. And I haven't got anywhere near it. Okay. But I haven't got anywhere near it because they haven't got anywhere near it because they've now bringing up this entire weird, almost conspiratorial idea that we can't trust our Bibles. All right, here we go. These loyal princes, because we have that, that principality, which is a type of spirit being Mm -hmm. that is very high up in the orders. And if a, if an, a principality is in charge of opening a portal, then is this one of Yahweh's loyal angels with a key? Remember who's got the keys? It's Jesus. Hell and death, yeah. Yes, it's Jesus. So is he handing a key and saying, open this? Or is the fallen realm being allowed mm. to open them? I would argue that it so now this seems to be like, now we have either Jesus or demonic power opening a portal. <laughs> and this is all going down in Isaiah 13, 3. Now, I, in some ways I'm laughing, but listen, I, I let me make it very clear. I am more than willing to consider every possibility. I am more than willing to consider this. I am more than willing to hear this out. I am, I am. I'm willing to change any view. Now, clearly, from all of my education, what I'm hearing, this sounds like absolute crazy talk. That, that, but I'm willing to consider it. I'm willing to consider it because all that we should care about is truth. I don't care if it goes with my team. I don't care if it goes with, with my theological side. I don't care about that. I don't care about, you know, ooh, I could offend people or, or people on my side won't listen to me anymore. I don't care about that. We should care about truth. So I'm willing to hear this, but man alive, this is going, <laughs> Uh, this is going some some directions here. This is going some really directions. Let's let's. Oh man, we're almost out of time. Let's continue. Could be either one because there are an awful lot of human beings these days that are involved in experiments that the the humans have no idea what mm-hmm. it is that they're really playing with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tourism to South America to partake of ayahuasca to open up. Gates. Portals in your mind, right. exactly. And right. there, are, there are portals on earth that may go back to ancient times that we just aren't aware of, or maybe the fallen realm have told the humans, convinced them some way, that you're going to be famous, you're going to get this done, and you're going to find this particle, and boy, you're going But I'm telling you, some of these things are really, really close to fulfilling this prophecy. I I agree. And I think when we look at the context of Isaiah 13 and 14 together, and then uh, this is going to take a couple of weeks. (laughs) 
<laughs> but we'll we'll get the context of Isaiah 14. We're not going to race through it. No, no, no. No, we no. crawl through no, scripture. No, but uh, we'll tell. <laughs> I have to laugh because someone who's listening just put portals, question mark, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation on earth. I, I know what, I don't know what is happening here. I don't know what is going on. I, I'm sitting here looking at, I'm looking at the Hebrew here for Isaiah 13. I'm, lo- I'm looking at commentaries. I am so utterly baffled with, with, with what they're doing here. Um, See, uh, yeah, I don't even know. I, I, okay, this is the, the Medes and the Persians. Now, they, they, they seem to acknowledge that there's a historical setting for Isaiah 13, 3, but they, like, okay, yeah, the Medes and the Persians, I mean, yeah, that, but, but, but if you look in the Septuagint, there's something else going on here. There's portals, and there's either angels or Jesus opening a portal for spiritual entities to come through. What in the world is going on? Um, yeah, I, I'm, oh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, this, I think everyone thinks this is opening the gate for the Medes and the Persians, but I don't think this is like Jesus opening the gate for the Medes and the Persians. Yeah. I, I think he, there's, uh, yeah. Whoa. There, I, there's a, there, I do not know what's going on here. This is, this is some crazy stuff. This is some crazy stuff. Yeah. You never know. You never know what you're going to hear when you open up a Christian podcast app. That's that. That's what we're learning. Okay, that that whenever you listen to sermons or Christian podcasts, you have no clue what you're going to stumble. Upon. Who knew we were going to stumble upon? I was wanting to hear. So Lucifer is not Satan, and I figured it was going to go to the argument that Lucifer shouldn't be translated Lucifer. It should be translated to something else. And it did, it did, it did. and I, I understand all of that. And then that prophecy where it talks about, is that really Lucifer? Like, I understand. I, I knew that there were some directions we could go. And I was like, okay, how are we going to handle this? But this, I was not prepared. We've only got 14 minutes left. We're, I'm going to let them try to finish this and we're going to have to stop. Clearly, we're going to have to do a part two. I, sh- I know I should have called this part one. That was my own. I always think I can do it in one episode. I always do. I never, never learn. I, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I never learn. All right, here we go. Tell you why we believe this connects to the Rephaim and the netherworld when Unraveling Revelation continues. Okay, well, that's perfect. We're right there. The Rephaim. Oh, we're, we're, we're going. We're going in. <laughs> okay. I don't know if I'm listening to a Christian podcast or if I'm listening to Coast to Coast AM. Now, if you never listen to Coast to Coast AM, that's another radio program I usually listen to somewhere between midnight and three in the morning. Okay. And that's, it's not as crazy as it used to be because now you can say certain things. You end up getting banned from everything, Twitter, your podcast gets taken down. But back in the, the wild west of the 1990s, Art Bell would talk about insane stuff. And I would be listening to that late at night when I was a security forces for the United States Air Force out in the middle of the back end of a runway looking at a gate at two in the morning. Okay. I had a little radio listening to Art Bell talk about insane stuff, UFOs, alien abductions, 
reptilians, the Illuminati, you name it. Okay, so this this is where <laughs> that's what I feel like I'm listening to right here. But I but I'm not completely shocked because Skywatch TV talks about some insane stuff. But I really was just hoping we we're going to get into Isaiah 14 and get into where they were going. But we got 14 minutes left, so uh, we'll we'll stop here. We'll have to get back to this. We won't get back to it. Ha. Ah. Yeah, okay, I don't know if I'm going to get back to it today. We may have to save this f- till tomorrow because the other thing, uh, okay. <laughs> okay, it says, someone just said, do theology, do theology hat uh, leaving the building, putting on roll my eyes theology hat, <laughs> or should I do a word study on portals? No, I think we need to do a word study on maybe Babylon and a word study on day of the Lord. That The one good thing from this is they do lead us to having to struggle with those two things. But this is craziness. This is just crazy. Um, and, then, and then the whole conspiracy that we can't trust the Masoretic text. We can only trust the Septuagint. That, yeah, that raises all kinds of questions about everybody. Wow. I don't even know what to say. I, I, that... <laughs> I told you that I was nervous at the beginning. I told you I was because I did not really know where this was going. I really did not know where this was going. So, um, wow, that took a wild turn. That took, that took like, (laughs) that took a turn that I don't even know where, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. Wow. How did we end up there? See, that's why you listen to this podcast because, well, we I, not only do you not know what's going to happen in every episode, I don't even know what's going to happen in every episode. So does that make it fun? I, I don't know that. Yeah, that was crazy. But we will, we do need to do some work on Day of the Lord. That That is true. That's just true because everyone does think. And now Babylon, they make lots of claims there, but I think even they acknowledge not all of that's outlined in the Bible. So I'm not as worried about that as much. The portal thing, I just don't even know what in the world they're talking about. But I am now curious about what in the world's going on in Isaiah 13.3. So maybe we're going to do a Bible study exercise on Isaiah 13. I mean, why don't we just do a, a, a one on every chapter of Isaiah? Okay, maybe at some point. Right now we got we to gotta finish Obadiah. But uh, wow, that's some crazy stuff. All right, we'll stop there. Yeah, I'm just I'm just looking around. I'm just looking around at all of my books and resources. And I I don't think I have any resources that were like, hey, when you get to Isaiah 13, there's going to be crazy people in the world who think that that's portals, spiritual beings. And uh, here, here's here's what you need to know. No, I don't think I have any books that even address this stuff. But uh, that's, you know, and I will say this. This is what's so frustrating about theology and what's so frustrating about Bible study. And it's what really has made me at times very frustrated with how dogmatic and sure pastors sometimes act is here's the reality. You never know what Christians are going to do with the Bible. You have no idea. The, the interpretations they can come up with, the crazy things that can come up with. Now, I know my Catholic professors from Catholic University would be like, see, that's the whole problem with the Protestant Reformation. 
See, Yah decided to throw out the authority of the church. So you don't have the authoritative magisterium giving an authoritative interpretation of the Bible. It's now a free-for-all. It's everyone can come up with any interpretation you want. And there's some truth to that. Any any non-Catholic Christian can pick up the Bible, come up with any theology they want, and if their church doesn't like it, they'll just start another church or they'll just start another Christian podcast. It's a free-for-all. And, and that is maddening at times because, uh, I mean, you never know what someone's going to do. I mean, literally, anybody can do whatever they want to the text. People don't have to follow any hermeneutical rule. They can make up their own hermeneutical rule. They can decide which text. Oh, we're going to use the Masoretic. Nope, we're going to use the Septuagint. You can just do whatever you want. And that's maddening to people, all right? Make sure we understand. As Christians, we realize, okay, this is going to happen, and we have to struggle with it. But just imagine people out there, just think about it. The new generation, right, you know, the the younger generation, their exposure to Bible and theology, it's not happening inside churches. The younger generation is being exposed to the Bible and theology with with podcasts. TikTok videos. That's where they're, they're discovering it. And sometimes they look around going, man, you people can't agree on anything. And I think it's even more discouraging now that, that, and, and you can't deny that. I mean, whenever I say that Christians say, well, most Christians agree. And I'm like, just what? Most Christians agree on what? What are you talking about? Again, anyone who's read commentaries realizes just how radical that each Comment, like how different, how radically different each commentary can be on the same set of verses. And it's insane how crazy it can be. And listen to what we just heard. They sound, look, those people speaking sound very well spoken. They didn't mispronounce any of the words I probably would have mispronounced. They, they did really good. They sound authoritative. They sound intelligent. But what in the name of bubblegum did they just do to Isaiah chapter 13, verse 3? I have no idea, and I am even afraid to know where it's going. That's why it's even more important that churches are equipping their people to be able to handle this kind of stuff. But, but most churches won't equip you enough that, and that's how. And again, that's the whole point of the church is so that you won't be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. That's why we have to learn to to not only hear what's going on, but to address it, to talk about it. Don't be. I'm not afraid of talking about these things. I'm not afraid of hearing this perspective. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of you hearing it. I, I've told you where you can go. I mean, download the, the Edify Christian Podcast app, or just look up for Skywatch TV. I know they're on Podbean. I know the person listening uses Podbean. I know they're on there because that's where I always download it from because it's uh, Podbean makes it easy to download. So again, they're on Podbean. Another one of those places where there's just all kinds of craziness going on at any given time. But we have to we have to know what's going on out there. And this is just some wow. And you say, well, and I know some of you say, well, who cares? Why do you even address this stuff? It's just ridiculous. Yeah, until it shows up in your church, until it shows up in your small group, until it shows up in your Sunday school class. Is that, well, it would never show up there. Really? Are you sure of that? Because I've heard some crazy stuff show up in church. And so have you. Because what's out there? All right, we'll stop right there. You can email me your thoughts. <laughs> I, I, I wish we'd have made it further. I'm just, I'm baffled that the episode is called Lucifer is not Satan. And all we've really gotten to is Isaiah 13 and portals and giants coming through the portal. And we don't know if it's 
demons opening the portal or if it's Jesus opening the portal because the portal obviously has a key. I mean, yeah. All right, I'll stop right there. All right, thanks for listening. I'll be back on the air here shortly. I don't know what we're going to do next. I know we probably need to finish it. Maybe we'll come back and try to finish this. I don't know. There's just a lot we need to do, so we'll see. All right, thanks for listening. God bless.